Happy New Year, guys. It's 2024. It's a new year, but guess what? It's the same us, and it's the same fantastic happy hour. Seven days a week, 2 to 6 p.m. at the Handlebar right here in Chico. You're going to get some money off of every single one of their fantastic craft beer taps, as well as half-off bottles of wine. You could even bring your pupper right onto that dog-friendly patio. It's a little chilly out there now, but I promise you, if you have enough of those tasty craft beers, you're going to warm right up. Or if you have a husky... Suck it up. Sure. And if that doesn't do the trick, you can also just get some beer, cheese, and pretzels, uh, a favorite of mine, not so much Johnny's, uh, unfortunately. I like the pretzels. <laughs> yeah, like the pretzels, not the beer, cheese. Uh, the point is, guys, the Handlebar is the place to be in 2024. Again, their address is 2070 East 20th Street. If you want to get the screaming deals, again, their happy hour is all seven of those days from 2 to 6 p.m. Go check them out. And here is the show. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. We are a uh, we are a podcast. We are a radio show sometimes, and we talk about the things going on in the worlds of craft beer and film. Admittedly, this week is uh, quite a bit more film than craft beer. But my name is Max Minardi. We're all those things. We're also pals. I'm Johnny. Uh, this week on the show, we got we got quite a bit of stuff. We're we're playing catch up on uh, some 2023 films that we didn't have time to fit into their own proper episodes over the past few months. And those movies include, <laughs> brace yourself, Wonka, directed by Paul King, showing up. I'm just going to skip directors for now. Um, Air, The Deepest Breath, The Holdovers, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, May, December, When Evil Lurks, Skinamarink, and Maestro. Um, some of those only Johnny has seen, some only I've seen. And there's one in there that we have both seen our featured brewery this week is hot butcher for the world out of chicago it's been johnny how long has it been since we've covered them on the show roughly a year it was august 22 okay, so it's sweet. a little over a year right the first beer is called the adventures of strata and peacherine the second beer is called monster cave um i imagine those beers won't get as much attention on today's show as they usually do but we'll give them shout outs we'll give them reviews when we get to them um and we'll go from there johnny would you take it away please from that point um at your at your little note thing yeah if you're listening on kzfr 90.1 fm i honestly don't know how far we'll be getting into the radio version of our show today we have got so much ground to cover so just sit back and enjoy the ride we'll be avoiding major spoilers for every movie we're chatting about today uh but some might be unavoidable to find the episodes in the episode or any episode in its sure. entirety, go search Fresh Hop Cinema on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or any other major podcast platform. We have released new episodes every Friday since 2016, which means since you're hearing this on a Saturday, it's available to all of you listening on KZFR right now. If you like the show, go take five seconds and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to let us know that you did that. Text us to brag or with feedback about the show at 530-433-0839. Again, Again, the number for the show is 530-433-0839. To hang out with us on social media, search Fresh Hop Cinema on Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, or Untapped, or just head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com. All right, I say we get right into it. Let's just jump in. We're going to play a trailer for Wonka. That's a film that Johnny has seen. I haven't with Timothy Chalamet. Uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. So here is a trailer for Wonka. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician inventor and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can say you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. 
many people have come here to sell chocolate, they've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate, and you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we gonna do, Willie? Huh. Huh? Huh. A double huh. Get the pencil and paper. Uh-huh. I got an idea. I know things haven't been easy for you. They're gonna get better. You promise? I pinky promise. That's the most solemn vow there is. Where do we start? A good chocolate chip is simple. Where's this? It's just weird. What's happening? Oh, that's a chocolate that makes it fly. Well, let's find out, shall we? Who's for a hover job? Nothing to see here. Just a small group of people defying the laws of gravity. Ladies and gentlemen of the gallery gourmet, my name is Willy Wonka. He's good. Too good. Pretty sure I've gained about 150 pounds in the last two weeks. You could change her life, Mr. Wonka. Change all their lives. Every good thing in this world started with a dream. So you hold on to yours. Here we go, Mama. Mark my words, this is going to be the greatest chocolate shop the world has ever seen. So you're the funny little man who's been following. I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. An Oompa what now? Allow me to refresh your memory. Oh, I don't think I want to hear that. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop. Okay, again, trailer for Wonka. Johnny, take it away. Willy Wonka, chock full of ideas and determined to change the world one delectable bite at a time, is proof that the best things in life begin with a dream. And if you're lucky enough to meet Willy Wonka, anything is possible. So this was a 2023 remake of, well, let's not say remake. It was more of a prequel. Okay. It's kind of the ad blocker. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Oh, you didn't sign in. I don't have, yeah, no. That's that's going to be a problem. Sure. Uh, what do you what, what information are you looking for? Nothing at this point. All right, great. Okay. What did you think of Wonka? So I thought it was like maybe a movie that nobody was asking for because I wasn't asking for it. So I obviously speak for the whole populace. Of course. Uh, you know, I've I've been kind of Wonka'd out. Gene Wilder is Willy Wonka. The rest of them have been, you know, people just kind of doing. That because there's the Burton one, right? Yeah, with Johnny Depp. Did you see that? Oh, I saw. I saw them both. Yes, I think there was two. Because that one's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and there was Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory before that, Mm -hmm. and now this. Yes. So there's been a lot of Wonka content in the last ten years, and then you know Chalamet thinks he needs to get in on it. It was definitely an origin story. It was kind of how he got into the biz and his struggles and. It had uh, way too many songs for me. Okay. It struck me as a very, very musical type movie. Uh, a lot of it just got a little silly. It had a a tone that was kind of all over the place from serious to slapstick mm-hmm. to trying to be heartfelt. And it felt like, you know, watching a pinball machine of a movie. It like was in just a fun way. If you were in the mood for that, but it was distracting how all over the place the tone was. So it was just like. It had a lot of lanes that it tried to be in, and I thought Chalamet was very 
nebulous in his role of Wonka in that he never really I found myself not being able to really gravitate towards him in any one facet of his personality or character. It was just this sort of undefined persona. And I don't know if that's part of the the, the origin story type situation or not, but it didn't work for me as a whole just because it felt so jumbled and it was beautiful. There's some really great color work and cinematography and some of the classic um, Wonka-isms like the, the fizzy lifting soda. Right, 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 right. But then you had the... For absolutely no reason, Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa, that was weird. There was a lot of talk of of like Hugh Grant hating that he had to do that. Yeah. Um. And then I, I can't remember where I heard this, but like people were just saying, and it like it shows in the character, which played really well for the the Oompa Loompa, but yeah. like maybe it was not his favorite role. <laughs> you could tell the Oompa Loompa was not happy. He's been playing a lot of like you know like because the Oompa Loompas were like more evil in this one. No. Oh, okay. Not as much. They're just like, I feel like in, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they're like sinister and they carry off all the kids to their demise. Oh, really? I don't know. Isn't that? Well, I think the Depp ones, they were kind of portrayed more as like in like slave labor almost. Oh, because I didn't see that one, but that would make sense because that does kind of seem how they it's are. It's the vibe. But I've, it's been a good year for Hugh Grant. I think yeah. we can talk about that too. Like, this, this wasn't a shining achievement, but yeah. it has been. So I I didn't love it. I appreciated the idea and the effort, but mm. I think it was a miss. All right. Well, out of 10, where do you land? 4.2. 4.2. That's probably fair. Um, I think you might like it for what it's worth. Well, I like I like the magic of the original. Mm-hmm. It's always playing in that candy store downtown. I think there's something there's something really magical. And, and maybe it's a thing that once Gene Wilder did it, like don't touch it. Yeah. Like that's kind of how it feels to me too. And because I've only I was gonna see it and it's this is gonna come up a lot in today's show, but I just didn't have time or I missed it in theaters. I think Wonka's actually not one of those cases because it's still in theaters. Um but I've been catching up on other stuff which will become clear. Like so, the Meg too. Like the Meg too. But like I'm gonna be looking to you basically to be like A of course how you felt, but then should I watch it? Um so do you think I should watch this? Yeah, I think this is more of a max movie. I would say don't waste your time, not waste your time. Don't take the time out of your valuable, important life and go to the theater. That's a, you can watch it at home. Okay, I'm yeah, like because there's a bunch of movies. Like I said at the beginning, there's only one on here that we've both seen. I can't. Which one and is it? It's uh, Maestro. Oh yeah. And I'm gonna have to prioritize some of these because I know you're gonna recommend some more than others. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the impression that maybe Wonka isn't at the top of that rec list. No, it's a good feel good movie. You know, put it on in the background. It's something you shouldn't have to pay close attention to. But I think you'd probably enjoy it, and you'd say it's pretty fine. All right, well, then let's move right along. I've got a movie to talk about now. It's uh, from director Kelly Reichardt, who did First Cow, which we covered on the show, which um, we both really loved. Mm -hmm. It's a movie called Showing Up, and here's a trailer. Hi. She's amazing. Love the green stockings. You're Lizzie, right? I can't figure out what class this is, but I really want to join it. what I'm supposed to do without hot water. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know. You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. Hey, give me a push. You should make more like this. I'm enjoying my retirement. I get up, I do a little of this, a little of that, and before you know it, it's time to watch TV again. That sounds terrible. 
going on? I'm making a piece. It's a very major piece. Very major. He's a genius. He was always incredibly creative. A lot of people are creative. I saw some of Joe's work at a studio yesterday. Wow, it just gives me such a lift. Pretty amazing. When's my hot water coming back on? <sighs> I'm on it. Easy on the cheese. It's for everyone. I don't want to run out. Cheese is out on the table. You shouldn't put cheese out on the table if you don't want people to eat it. Sick of not having hot water, Joe. It's such a total drag and such a shitty thing to do to a person. I'm sick of it. Have a great night. You're not supposed to have any cheese. All right. Again, trailer for showing up. It's a Kelly Reichardt film. It's basically, I'll, I'll read you the letterbox synopsis here because it's a little bit smoother to do that, I think. Um, and it starts by saying, art imitates life. An artist on the verge of a career-changing exhibition navigates family, friends, and colleagues in the lead-up to her show and finds that the chaos of life becomes the inspiration for more great art. The film stars Michelle Williams and Hong Chao. Uh, Hong Chao, who we were very excited to see in the next thing she did after The Whale. I remember us having a conversation about that. Do you recall? Mm. Maybe we didn't see this trailer together. I could have sworn at one point, like, because it's her on a tire swing, and we were both like, or maybe it was somebody else I was with. Either way, I was super excited for this. Um, it, it has like the same sort of slow, delicate nature of First Cow, which mm-hmm. in set in like the 1800s frontier worked really well. I had a, I had a bit of a hard time with this, um, despite really wanting to like it. Um, and I wrote in my review that it almost seems like the director set out with the goal of like underpacing First Cow, which I thought would have been hard. <laughs> um, and like, don't get me wrong, like I love First Cow. There's there just feels like there's a lot missing here. Um, and like, rather than a a tender ode to the intricacies and passion that goes into art creation, like the movie made me dislike the artists somehow. Um, there's just like such a strong sense of self-importance in the characters. It's like really hard to, to just to empathize with them in general. Um, I had also watched this just after watching Maestro, um, which is a film that deals with sort of the complexities of the relationship between artist and creator and like public persona versus private life. And, um, I think that movie did it just in a, in a, in a much better way. So this one seemed a little bit more hollow when you can com- yeah, have the direct comparison. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's, it's a tender movie. There's some really nice moments. There is a, um, debacle with a bird that is injured that kind of shows you the two ways that the main characters sort of deal with, um, I think life in general, which is a really great sequence. Um, but as a whole, the, the movie felt a bit like, going to Pam Beasley's art show mm-hmm. when nobody, and like <laughs> where you have, I think it's like Oscar and his boyfriend being like, it feels like motel art or whatever he says. Uh, so for me, it ends up that it's like a five out of 10. I was, I was bummed. Um, but you know, it is what it is. You can't, can't love all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds too slow and it sounds like I would hate it. Yeah. I don't know if you'd hate it, but it's not even the slowest movie on my list today, by the way, Whoa! <laughs> but it's up there. Anyways, those are my thoughts on, on showing up. Johnny, what do we have coming in next? Next, we have a movie that I covered, well, watched and I'm going to cover called Air. It was, are we playing a trailer? Let's play a trailer. Play a trailer. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down. Our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. 
Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. My name's Sonny Vaccaro. I'm with Nike. Do you typically make it a habit of showing up at people's front doors unannounced? I don't like to take no for an answer. Oh, man. Here we go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Your motor I believe in your son. I believe he's the future. And his story is gonna make us want to fly. But a shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Got a name for it? Air Jordan. I don't know. Seriously? Maybe it'll grow on me. Air. It was directed by Ben Affleck with a screenplay by Alex Coventry. It's an hour 52 minutes long. It was released at South by Southwest on the 18th of March last year. Uh, and Letterboxd has this to say. Some icons are meant to fly. Discover the game-changing partnership and then un uh, between a then undiscovered Michael Jordan and Nike's fledgling basketball division, which revolutionized the world of sports and culture with the Air Jordan brand. So this was a story about how Michael Jordan changed the landscape of sports while not playing a sport. So it was essentially all of the negotiations and essentially the the development and revitalization of Nike's basketball department. At the time, they were very much into running shoes, track shoes. Like, it was not their focus. When does this take place? I want to say the late 80s. Okay. Late yeah, 80s, great. early 90s, because that's right around when Jordan was graduating college. And Got it was he was in college at North Carolina and then going into the NBA. Or he okay. was just right in the NBA. So he hadn't signed a shoe deal yet, so he was very new. Um, Michael Jordan changed the game, yes. like I said, off the court. And it had a lot to do... Not only with Nike, like I said, basketball division, the creation of it. It was all about the negotiation and how it got there and what Michael Jordan wanted because it was unprecedented at the time for a basketball player of his age to kind of get this sort of deal. Uh, and it was really good. Like if you're – you don't even have to necessarily be a sports fan. That's what I was going to ask. To like, enjoy this. Is it not a sportsman's movie necessarily? I would say not necessarily. Like there's a little bit of sports lingo that gets thrown around, but it's 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 displayed in a way that is very easy to follow to the layperson, the non-sports enthusiast. And all in all, it was a really good story. I thought it was well acted. It was a safe movie, but it was very entertaining. Safe how? Like safe in the same way that like Ford versus Ferrari was a safe movie? Exactly. Yeah, I got you. There's that just kind of 
nerfed feeling of like it's safe it just feels yeah it's not gonna ruffle any feathers it's not gonna cause controversy if you put it on at thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah but it's also better than a lot of safe movies because sometimes safe movies lack substance so you want to this one's safe and substantial which i thought was a really good combo ben affleck Pretty right, good, like good director. There's, I was pretty impressed because you didn't even say the cast yet, but like Matt Damon's in it, Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman's in it. I mm-hmm. guess um, Chris Messina, who I love from the newsroom, Viola Davis shows up. Chris Tucker's in this, mm-hmm. like a bunch of people. Yeah, um, and it sounds like also I don't know if you've seen the maybe you're looking at it, but the the letterbox header image of this is just like Ben Affleck kicking back with his bare feet. Yeah, he's the head of Nike. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I love little little um, sort of like sports biopic or any biopic type movies that give me insight to the history of the subject, not just like the individual, like mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, but like, you know, where, where the, the company Nike was at at the time. I think it's, it's a nice little window into a different time period, yeah. which is always fun. And Viola Davis is Michael Jordan's mom. Taking sure. no grief. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> man. There's this great, there's this scene I saw a clip of on the internet and I think it's him negotiating. I want, I don't know if it's from this movie, but there's a negotiation of him wanting more money. Um, and, and the corporate guys are like, this person doesn't even make that much money. And then he's like, I'm better than that guy. Does that from this mm-hmm. movie? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah. You would like this movie a lot. Okay. I liked this movie a lot. I'm, it was just, it came out at a time where we were rich with blockbusters. I think this came out wide. Yeah. A, early April. So there was a lot of stuff out. It just, we just yeah. got backlogged and this was kind of a direct to Amazon prime. I want to say release. That could be so right. yeah. uh, it just fell through the cracks, but I watched it. The week it came out, and I, I dug it, and even talking about it now, I would definitely watch it again. So sweet, love it. Um, you want to give me an out of ten on that one? It's like a seven nine. That's a high score, dude. It was pretty solid. Cool. Okay. Um, well, that's three movies in the bag. I think we officially open up a beer. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, uh, we're gonna find a beer, and then we'll be right back. All right, back with wasn't that cool? Mm-hmm. We're uh, back with beer number one. Um, you are conf- you're not confused. You're I dare say you're a little bit upset that this didn't look like what you expected. Could you tell me? Uh, I guess start from the top. What is this beer? Uh, yeah, more than mildly perturbed at this beer already, but we'll get there. Uh, this is The Adventures of Strata and Peacherine. It is a, according to the internet and the can, a double IPA of just a t- double just IPA, IPA variety that's 7.5% from Hot Butcher for the World out of Chicago. Uh, and so there's not much online about this beer other than it's hopped with Strata and Peacherine. So there you go. That's it. Poured it. Right. Yeah. Poured it. It is not as advertised. It no. is very much so not clear. In fact, it maybe looks like the haziest beer I've ever had in my life. It's pretty, yeah. I'm going to even, because I think we don't need a super strong focus for this to work, but like you can see, even if it's out of focus, you can see the color of that. Yeah. Just know it's not camera tricks. There it is you in your to, camera you too. To... No, no, no. That's great. Oh. Well, shit. I mean, yeah, might as well. Don't spill on your computer. Thank you. Come on. You got it? Which I think, way? I think the other way. Okay. This is great. Uh, Look at that. Yeah. And then since we're there, I'll show you the can too, right? Yeah. Uh, this is what the can looks like. Boom. Maybe. Sort of, yeah, yeah. There you go. Got a little harsh light coming in from our lighting, but that's the gist. Yeah. Okay. Good enough? Good enough. Great. Oh, I pulled that so clean. You just a great... Oh, is it back? Yeah. Maybe look at that. Oh, golden. Woo! Okay. So the point is, it is People not... People listening are like, uh, these idiots. <laughs> yeah. We got to figure out... Yeah. If I was like a super editor, I'd just cut out all the stuff that doesn't make sense audio logically but i'm not mm-hmm. going to so podcasters we're playing with our new cameras leave yeah. us alone you can check our youtube or instagram for what that actually looks like check it out being a real i'm stoked for this beer uh i'm not i know you're not so let's get into it you've tried it yeah i'm about to go in again all right 
Look at that. That's great. I'm going to try it for the first time, but what do you think? That's a letdown. It's so watery. It doesn't have the body of a double IPA, whether no, it it's not. West Coast or hazy. But looking at it, it looks like it should be very full of mouthfeel. That looks like it should be a big drinking experience. It absolutely does. And it's not nothing, but it definitely set me up to be like, oh, I thought this was going to be a lot different. No, we've had enough beers that just aesthetically you can look at that and be like, that is going to be heavy. It's going to coat my mouth. It might be too sweet. Yeah. It yeah. might not. But the the one thing I would not have disputed just looking at this beer is if it was going to be a big, heavy, punchy mouthfeel. And it's like watery. What is the flavor doing for you? I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not crazy either, but let's, let's set the mouthfeel aside and then approach a different aspect because maybe that's the only front that it's failing at. It's got some bristly hop notes up front, and then it's quickly, you know, washed over by that layer of sweetness. But then it ends like it doesn't. It's all. It happens fast. This beer comes at you quick, man. Yeah, yeah. It's hoppy. It's sweet, and then it washes over with kind of just a pithiness. So it's got a very defined bitterness at the end. Yeah. And it is mellow. It's like it's it's unassuming in a way, which is sometimes a nice quality in a beer, but um It's unimpressive. I can't remember like I know there's been beers from Hot Butcher for the World that I've really dug. Mm -hmm. And some that have been okay, which I think is like a fairly safe way to sum up how most breweries run the gamut. It's oh, like, you, you mean like the jewel, the double IPA that you give a nine to? That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Do you have what else did we have in that episode? Uh the other beer was uh Ale America the Beautiful. I don't recall that. I mean, I remember that name, but I don't six percent pale ale. Yeah. I give it a six eight, you give it a six. The jewels were it or jewel jewel? The jewels. The jewels. Yeah, green can, big beautiful logo. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you love that beer. Uh, I give it a three point seven. Oh, that must have been another hazy, huh? I don't remember. I just I'm seeing from the numbers here, man, that you loved it, and I absolutely it should be hated in the it. description there. I should have written like stylistically what it was. It just says double IPA, but so, oh, does, so this does this one. one. Yeah, uh, I bet you it's similar. Like I think maybe they're more known. And this is Chicago, right? These guys. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like we've probably done four to six of their beers. I'd guess two or three episodes worth if you count mm -hmm. today. Um, For what it's worth, they're out of Darien, Illinois. Oh, that's right. Yeah. If you would have asked me that, you would have been like, "Hey, it's not Chicago. It's close." I I'll give you. I think I could have come up with that. I would have remembered that. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. Um, it's fine to me. Um, in a, Well, partially because our episode is formatted differently this week. Partially because this isn't necessarily worth spending a ton of time that we don't have on. Let's give it a rating and keep on moving. What do you think? Yeah, I'm super unimpressed. Uh, skip it. Don't love it. So okay. 3.5. Okay. You're in charge of writing notes today. Okay. 3.5 for you. Um, yeah, I'm going to take, take one more sip here. But do it. Sip it. It's yeah, it's fine. It's right up the middle for me. It's a five. I I like it. I drink it again. Most beers from most breweries, according to the logic of a bell curve, should be at a five. And this is like it's fine. It's totally fine. It's mids. It's totally mids. It's yeah. it's completely average. Neither neither horrible nor amazing. Neither bad nor good. Well, take a deep breath. That's a pretty good segue. I'm tell me about our next movie. <laughs> All right, incoming is a trailer for an A twenty four released documentary called The Deepest Breath, and we'll be right back after this trailer. Freediving is one of the world's deadliest extreme sports. It's very simple. The deepest dive wins. You've got to swim the length of a 70-story skyscraper. Three, two, one. Freediving is an extreme sport. And extreme sports have extreme consequences. Oh, one more. I'm Alessia Zecchini and I'm from Italy. 
even when she was young. Alessia had some supernatural power with free diving. She wanted to become the deepest woman in the world. Steve had this massive reputation as the best safety diver ever. If a diver wants to feel secure, they're very happy diving with someone that they're familiar with. He believed in Alessia, and so he started training with her. Alessia and Steve, they had a very special connection. Hey, hello. It was just a really good match. It's <laughs> an amazing lady. She's going to win the World Championships. Alessia was after the world record, so she was going to push her limits. She wanted to be better than the best freediver ever. When you push close to a limit, a lot can go wrong. All right, that was a trailer, again, for The Deepest Breath, a film that uh, I hadn't really heard of. Johnny, had you heard of this? No. <laughs> did How much of that did you record earlier? I, we've recorded all of it. Not all of that's making the cut. Okay. No, I am A24's biggest fan, target demographic, review their movies regularly, interact with them on social media, follow them on all the social media, share their posts. Right. I've never heard about this, and I'm upset because and it's- And they a- didn't call you directly. <sighs> well, they called me, buddy. By which I mean it happened to show up on my Netflix. Because you got the subscription. It's because I got A24 paraphernalia all up in this room. Yeah. Um, Doesn't matter. I was going to show the poster of Zacky Boy, but I won't. It's fine. So this is directed by Laura McGann. It was produced by John Batsek, Sarah Thompson, Jamie Dalton, and Anne McLaughlin. It's an hour and 48 minutes long. Like I said, it was produced uh, or or rather um, uh, distributed by Netflix and picked up by them. By A24, then put on Netflix is what I mean. Um, it first premiered at Sundance in January and then came to Netflix very unassumingly uh, summertime, uh, about July, mid, somewhere in there. Okay. And Letterbox has this to say about the film. One dive, one breath, one chance. I like that they do those little taglines at the beginning. It makes me happy. A champion freediver and expert safety diver seemed destined for one another despite the different paths they took to meet at the pinnacle of the free diving world. A look at the thrilling rewards and inescapable risks of chasing dreams through the depths of the ocean. I'm stressed um, out already. I was going to say, what's your day uh, to, maybe not day to day, what's your sort of month to month relationship with freediving? I think about it a lot. A lot? I follow a couple of freediving like Instagrams. And like I've listened to a few podcasts, I watch videos, especially of freedivers that do a lot of spearfishing. That makes sense. It's fascinating. It's like this physical feat of not only like catching and shooting fish with a spear gun, but holding your breath and freediving for a super long time. So where the Venn diagram of those two worlds intersect, I definitely thrive and endorse and subscribe to a lot of stuff. Uh, so, but the actual like freediving going super deep. Um, I think it's fascinating. Well, okay. Then you are amongst the people who I thought didn't super exist outside of the world of freediving because in my 32 years, really? I have not spared a thought. Okay. For like, you know, the sport, like I, I've, I've, I have, I'm American, number mm-hmm. one, makes me free and I've dived. <laughs> I've dived before. You And dove. I've swam, uh, is it dove? Dived doesn't sound right. But I think it is right. Dived? I think, I think it's dived. I don't know. Um, but when I did water polo in high school, we had, we swam in sort of an Olympic sized pool. So I dove or dived to the bottom of that 20 feet deep. That's about the deepest I've ever gone. That's pretty deep. And it was enough. I wasn't like, Ooh, I should go another. 
but that's kind of the gist of what free diving is. It's like, oh, somebody went 80 meters. I'm going to go 81 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever. I had no interest in it going in, but I saw that this was the things that it is. It's A24 and it's it's this gorgeous documentary and has some shots that I think are in contention for like the most gorgeous shots of the year when it comes to some of their ocean photography. And I think it's stuff that was probably captured specifically as like B-roll for this documentary. It's not any of the actual story, but it's really, really high resolution, slow motion, like golden hour ocean shots. It's it's incredible. Nice. It, they're shots because they're just beautiful, but also they really capture the essence of like the danger and the majesty of what's happening in this sport. I do not mess with the ocean, man. I know you don't. I know you you got in the ocean once with me a little bit. I was not sober. No, of course not. (laughs) I was, it was great, but no. Um, What surprised me about this movie is like the emotional gut punch it hits you with by the end. Mm. Um, It's just a movie about like living your life to the fullest with the people you care about and and experiencing what you can in the world um it's a it's a solid eight out of ten for me it's great it's on netflix check it out sir please i'm talking to you now johnny but also you people check it out um and then let me know what you think i think it was really really fantastic nice i I will be on that that's getting added to the watch list all right where are we going next dude uh we're going to the holdovers dang it i wanted to watch this in time it's (laughs) been on my list for for it's it's great um it, it, it made my list like a week ago Oh, really? And I got it watched. Okay, well... I was stoked. Okay, we're going to play a trailer. We'll talk more about it. Here comes a trailer for the holdovers. Don't go anywhere. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep. In the now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. History is not simply the study of the past, it is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way, and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. (laughs) I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lick down my shirt? No. (laughs) Yes. You're gonna get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. Oh, Jesus! Put their 
Holdovers. It was directed by Alexander Payne, screenplay by David Hemmingson. Two hours and 13 minutes long. It was relieved relieved, to TIFF. What a relief. Released at TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival, on 8-31-23. October 27th, 23, had limited release before Hulu released it in December for Everywhere Hulu Goes. And from Letterboxd, I will read you a quick description. A curmudgeonly instructor at a New England prep school is forced to remain on campus during Christmas break to babysit the handful of students with nowhere to go. Eventually, he forms an unlikely bond with one of them, a damaged, brainy troublemaker, and with the school's head cook, who has just lost a son in Vietnam. Oh, I didn't even know that much about the movie. Oh, wow. I just knew it was like, oh, did you say winter break? Am I tripping out? Christmas. Yeah, winter yeah, break. break. Yeah, winter break. Uh, I just knew it was... That and like Paul Giamatti as an instructor bonding with some of the students, mm-hmm. but that already seems heavier than um, I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Is this a funny movie? Yes, like funny, Very. funny, like a comedy. You no, might, you might say it. it's not a comedy. Um, it's it's somewhere between like a Christmas story and the Breakfast Club. Oh, that's a good formula right there. Right. Um, okay, what do you think? How's Paul Giamatti in this? Fantastic. Makes sense. I mean, he is such. A beast, man. He is a fantastic actor. I loved him in this so much. He played, you know, as you've seen in like Sideways, he's- I haven't seen Sideways. Okay, you should put that on your list. It's the second movie that this director has directed Paul Giamatti in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're a great combo. Um, And that director has always did uh, about Schmidt. He's done a few other things. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay. Okay. It's all good. Uh, This movie had this really- beautiful aesthetic it was almost like it was shot in technicolor mm-hmm. like it felt like a, it was set in 19 like the f- winter of 1970 yeah and it feels like it was filmed in 1970 maybe one of the best soundtracks of the year that's what i'm gonna say specifically like needle drop soundtrack or like a score that's been composed for the film? soundtrack okay great. soundtrack soundtrack great songs just interspliced in such opportune moments that bred just this immediate sense of nostalgia from a, a time when I wasn't even alive, but right. it had like a classic movie feel. And like I said, it had some of the the bits of a formula. Like there were moments where it was a little breakfast clubby because like everyone's in detention, you know. Yeah, there's there's like a classic sensibility to like the John Hughes movies of that mm-hmm. era, which is not the 70s, but like the 80s. Yeah. Like I get what you're saying. It's like a classic movie. Like I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. So it had that, but then it had so much more depth and character development uh, that was kind of continually surprising, even until the excuse me, please by all means, uh, even until the end. It was it was a surprising and delightful level of character development because you could easily, absolutely despise Paul Giamatti's character. He's good at that. Like he's good at he plays characters like that really well. Yeah. And this is another case where he is just this unlikable, seemingly just impossible curmudgeon. And not going to give too much away, but Thank you. things might change a little bit on your take on old Paul Giamatz. There's a great movie that came out this year also on my list called Monster, which um, I haven't seen yet. But there's – I love a movie, and this is all I've heard about it, um, so it's all conjecture. But, like, it's a film that, that – you know, you come in with certain expectations about certain characters based on what you learn early on. And then by the end, it's like a whole different thing that you never would have expected if the movie didn't do its job properly developing characters. I hate when, when movies just assume that you're, the audience is going to get to the point it's trying to lead you and doesn't do the legwork. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm so excited to see this movie. Who is in Monster? I'm trying to remember. I'm not sure that you know. Um, okay. 
It wasn't it's something a, like wide release. Like I just no. It's it's um it's it's what was the festival circuit movie? It's a Japanese film. I want to say okay. Um, I'll look at I'll look look up who directed it, but I, I don't think it's any any actors you would recognize. Okay. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, Did you like the movie Nebraska? I love. Was that pain? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Nebraska with um. Can I give me two seconds to try to think of this? What's the old fella's name? Um, uh, uh, he's a guy from the Hateful Eight too. Nick Nicholas? Is it Nicholas something? Bruce. Bruce. Oh yeah, it is Bruce. Uh, no, I know. I don't know it, but I you I know that I don't know it. Dern. Bruce Dern. Yeah. And and Chandler something Chandler. Ooh, maybe no. It's not, not Bob it's not, Odenkirk. Will, no. Will Forte. No, in Nebraska. Yeah. Those guys are in Nebraska. Yeah. No, like the main guy that takes his dad across the country. It's not those guys. It's um, uh, um you tell me. Yeah, let me see his look at the letter. Let me see his face. Uh, oh, it is Will Forte, huh? Yeah. Weird. I. The point is, yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I love Nebraska. I thought it was really well done. It was great. It's like one of like the best uses of black and white in modern filmmaking that I recall. Maybe than like the pianist. I don't know. Or the okay. artist. Excuse me. Okay. Why? Just same director. Okay. I was just curious if how many much of his filmography that I hadn't seen, <laughs> or oh, if there was any that you had that might make you yeah. extra motivated to see this movie. Have you seen Nebraska? No. Oh, you gotta watch it. It sounds great. It's it's very. Good. I love this director. So, um, yeah. Okay, holdovers. Johnny Summers out of ten. Where do you come down on this? Good score. And you're still in charge of rating things. Yeah, it's an eight point nine. Eight point nine. Uh, did not quite get into the the into the nines. Not quite. Can you tell me why? No, just didn't feel like it. Okay, I get that. That's fine. Um, well, yeah, it's again, it's super high on my list. Um, let's talk about another film. If you if if you got nothing else on this for now. Uh, no, I'm good. Let's go. All right, here's a trailer for Are, Are You, you there, there, God? God? It's, it's me, me, Margaret. I'm here to speak to you today about your changing bodies. The blood is released through the vagina. Please, just do this one thing for me. We just be normal and regular like everybody else. Just please, 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 please. What I feel, I can't say. I've decided I want you to join my secret club. If you want to be in the club, then you have to wear a bra. Oh. Do you, you think you need one? Are you okay? You can tell me the truth. Ah! Fine, good, yes. We have the Campus Improvement Committee. Any volunteers? Social Committee, Fundraising Committee. And how are you? I read that when you don't have any loved ones around, your life expectancy drops drastically, but you know, I've had a good run. the time doesn't it i don't know if i want to do this just so that we're ready please god let it be a lady all right again that was a trailer for are you there god it's me margaret which um if you're older than us and most likely a lady you might have read the book uh, from 1970 from judy bloom same name this film was directed by kelly freeman craig who directed the edge of 17 do you remember what year that movie was it feels like 2016 or 2017. Like we covered it on this show very early on. 
and we both loved it. I don't remember. Let me check real quick. Uh, it was 2016. 2016. Yeah, like it was. It was very early days of this show. Um, this film runs two hours twelve minutes. It was released on April 28th, 23, and of course, par for the course of today, we just I missed it. Um, but here's the letterbox synopsis. Uh, with her family, when her family moves from the city to the suburbs, 11 year old Margaret navigates new friends, feelings, and the beginnings of adolescence. It stars Abby Ryder Forston. It stars Rachel McAdams, Kathy Bates, um, Al Graham, Benny Stafty shows up as her dad, Margaret's dad. Um, and it's a movie about, yeah, this girl sort of, it's a coming of age story, which is par for the course of Kelly Freeman Craig, um, about this girl who really wants to keep up with her friends. And, and the movie sort of centers around her really wanting to get her period so that she can just kind of fit in with her friends. Um, and it's it's all about like becoming a young lady, which is not something that if you told me on paper, I would be like, oh, I, that's a movie I will connect with. <laughs> um, but it is, and I'll, I'll tell you about my review. I would have guessed that. Thanks, man. Here's, here's, here's my review. I, I wrote number one, Rachel McAdams for the win, and yeah. I'll circle back to that. Um, but I fell in love with this movie and I was so vindicated when I learned that it was the same director as The Edge of 17, which I loved, um, growing up Catholic. Uh, and relatively conservative. Like I never had these kinds of conversations with friends, much less my parents. And this film's ability to balance kind of the superfluous yet life-ending stress of like young adolescence against the actual weight and existential stress of like the family dynamics that happens here. Like her dad is Jewish. Her mom was raised by very sort of traditionalist Christians and like didn't like that she married a Jewish man. The film's ability to balance those dynamics and make them both seem equally weighty is really, really great. Like, like maybe you're jealous of your friends getting their period, or maybe you have to explain to your daughter why she's never going to meet her grandparents. Mm. Like, and it would be so easy for this movie to trivialize one of those things. And it just doesn't like, it's like I wrote on like full experiential gravity is given to each situation. Um, I just, it's, it's really well done. Is this movie on your radar at all? No, but you bought it on Vudu, so yes. Yeah I, <laughs> yeah, I bought it on our podcast Vudu because I think, you know, it's one of those things where it was like four bucks to rent it or six dollars to own it. And yeah. I was like, well, okay. If there's any chance you're going to watch it. like Sure, which there is. Right. Um, I ended up giving it an eight out of 10. I think it's fantastic. Rachel McAdams pretty much steals the show as Margaret's mom. She's like, she's like a cool mom, but also is like carrying this huge burden. I don't want to spoil anything. But, but a, a lot of the conflict is centered around, yeah, like you're wondering like, because Kathy Bates plays Benny Safdie's mom, um, the paternal grandmother for Margaret, and we don't meet the other grandparents and, and you get an idea that maybe it's because they don't super approve. Um, and that comes to a head in a really emotional way. It's just a very, very well done movie that isn't, isn't there's no explosions, there's no like hyper catty drama. Like it's just a solid story of human people trying to do their best, which I'm a sucker for. Nice. And I really, really dug it. I would love for you to check this out. Uh, I think, I think you would like it too. Cool. I'm into it. Um, and that's where I'm at. That's a eight out of 10 for, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. It's streaming. Um, I think on Hulu as well. And if not, you can do what I didn't and rent it on your friend's, uh, account that you share with that person. Perfect. I promise it'll be worth it. Um, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, pretty parched. You feeling like we go for another beer? And I don't even think we need to, I mean, maybe I'll throw in a fun sound because that's what we do on the show. Uh, I will. That's, I'm going to keep tradition as you pour this. Uh, okay. We're back. What did you just say as this, as you poured this beer? I said, that is not clear at all. <laughs> I think that hot butcher for the world just doesn't make clear beers. Well, 
There needs to be more letters on the outside of their cans then, Max. Yeah. Can we play focus game again as we say that this beer is called Monster Cave? And I'll show you that the uh, the can is right here more or less. Let me get it up so the camera can see it properly. Um, it's a fun label, you know? I think at the very least, maybe that's why you picked it up. It's a triple IPA. No, it was the only other hot butcher beer that oh, I had too. It's 10.5%. And all it says is that it's a triple IPA brewed with Nelson Salvin and Strata hops. I'm going to put this down. If you could focus that back on my beautiful face. Uh, perfect. Do you want to try it first or do you want me to? I'll try it. I'm right. not stoked on this. Well, look, I think I think you have to get rid of that in your head, and I think you have to go back to being objective. Now, it may not be a West Coast. I'm objectively reviewing this based on what I read off the can and what we paid our good, hard-earned, these people out here supporting these us. These Patreon people's money? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I mean, yeah, it says triple IPA. Now, I will make the case, it does not say triple New England IPA. No. It also doesn't say... Triple West Coast IPA. I think it leaves it open for interpretation. But you've tasted it. I mean, what do you think? That's like having a teriyaki sauce and a hot sauce next to each other, and then a third bottle that just says sauce. <laughs> like, I don't know. Is this Schrodinger's beer? Well, no. But is that's, it dead or alive? Is it West Coast? Point. Is it East Coast? It's, that's a sh shitty point. But like, wouldn't you, if you picked up the one that said sauce, wouldn't you be like, well, yeah, it makes sense. I'm surprised it didn't specify. Yep. It's like that Rage Against the Machine song, Specify. What? Now specify. You know what I'm talking about? Testify. I know. Come <laughs> on. What? So you don't like it or you do? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm mad at it. I have to figure it out. Okay, well, I'm trying it. Okay. So I have to ask you this. Just objectively speaking, if I give you a can of beer that says IPA, yeah. what do you expect? I expect West Coast. Okay. Yeah. Double IPA? I expect West Coast. Triple IPA. American style West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. That's okay. what I expect. There is a reasonable expectation of... Without extra letters, the West Coast style is what you're going to get because historically speaking, throughout the last 30 years yep. of craft beer, yep. that's what's going to be in the can, man. Can I make an alternate point? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw you a map real quick. We're over here. This is the West Coast in mm -hmm. California. Of course. Yes, I expect. But what if I'm, what if I'm in Pennsylvania? What do you think? If, if somebody says, hey, a West Coast IPA, do you think they might assume it's an East Coast because they're on the East Coast? Do you think that's possible? If somebody says West Coast IPA, no, why would they says, assume? Hey, do you want an IPA? Oh, over there? Do you think they're like, oh, of course, it'll be a it'll be a New England IPA? It's where we are geographically. I, I think maybe. <sighs> and then I will say, California, Pennsylvania. Um, we're we're coming from Chicago, which is here, which is more East Coast than West. I would make the case if I saw a treehouse can that said IPA, I'm thinking New England. But that's also because I know Treehouse. Mm -hmm. But now I'm starting to know Hot Butcher, which I think makes mostly these beers. And I think unless you're in California, if you're on the West Coast, you need to specify if it's a New England. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do I feel like I'm right here. This seems like a decent case to build. They need to specify. That's the point. That's not my point. My point that's... is the opposite of that. You need to know where you're getting your beers from to expect the expected. Hmm. I think that's a... a a uh, very flimsy wet tissue paper excuse for not labeling your beers properly. But do you get what I'm saying? You're saying that if you got a beer and it just said IPA styles are styles, no matter what coast you're on, man. Oh, I see. So you're making the case that inherently IPA is a stand in for West coast IPA because it's an older style. Well, yeah. And we have established guidelines, right? Does that make sense? Like you go to like the craft brewers association or the, the, the one in Colorado every year, the, the I don't know. Oh, there's a big oh, the one. Great American Beer Festival, the GABF. Yeah, yeah. One of the most acknowledged 
beer festivals in the country. Yes. They have defined You're right. styles. Oh, it's a fun way to say it. Well, yeah. if we're going to say words wrong, we're just going to say all the words <laughs> sure, wrong. Sure. So if you're entering an IPA in the IPA category, it has to be an IPA, not a West Coast or not a, a hazy IPA, right? Not a New England right. IPA. No, I agree. Like yeah. there's a standard, like there is a, an established set of rules that all breweries should be playing by and they are going rogue. That's to me, it's that simple. This is the way it is for every other brewery on the planet. Like, and the other ones like that we haven't, we've ripped apart. We have ripped apart. Remember the pineapple ale or the, what? what? Remember we did one. It was just like a pineapple beer. No, it just said pineapple. Was it beer. the blue can? Was it the pineapple, um, electric pineapple or whatever? I don't remember. Um, yes. It was silver with, I think it was Temblor. I can't oh. recall for sure. Is that Bakersfield? Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> but it just said pineapple beer. And I was, oh, I'm yeah. still mad about it. Right. Like it just, yeah. it floors me, dude. We have standards. This industry has established perfectly reasonable guidelines for you to label your beers properly so people know what they're getting when they spend money on That's your product. That's absolutely true. And to not do that is a disservice to your clientele. These beers were not cheap. Okay. Like if I'm just okay. going to like take a risk on a new brewery okay. and I'm going to get something that is not what it says on the can, yeah. I'm going to be down on that brewery bad. I think that's, I mean, that's fair. I get it. But so now that we've established this, I think we put that discussion to bed. Let's pretend it said New England IPA, okay? A New England triple IPA, because I mm-hmm. think that's what we're drinking. I think yeah. you're right there. What do you think of the beer as a New England triple IPA? I think it's really good. And it <laughs> makes me so mad that I think it's good, Max. I'm so upset. Okay. Like, legitimately. It's really good. You're upset because you like a New England IPA or that you've been baited and switched? Oh, I'm I'm upset because it's good, but it's labeled wrong. I think there's a whole – there's like a list of things that, that, that happened that are incorrect in the packaging and mm-hmm. my subsequent mm-hmm. purchase of mm-hmm. this product. As a consumer, as the person who buys yeah. all the beer for the show, that pisses me off. Objectively yeah. speaking, yeah. as a liquid, which apparently we had to decide what style it is for ourselves. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book, yes. Dungeons and Dragons style from the 1980s. Hugh Grant. Well, we have chosen that this is a New England triple IPA. It's pretty good. I Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've actually only had like one or two sips. Um, there's like accountability now. I think I've had I take a deep I breath. I don't know. Yeah, you got heated. <laughs> um, it's good, dude. I also enjoy it. Like- I'm going to take another drink is my point because I don't fully have an opinion, but tell me what you like about it. You know, it's really mellow. Like there's no way I would ever guess that's a 10.5%. It's not sickly sweet. There are notes, big, big notes of sweetness, but it's such a light, easy drinking experience. It's very pleasant on the palate. Still way too light for a triple IPA. It's also too sweet, don't you think? It's a little too sweet. Okay. Like I said, there's a lot of sweetness. I wouldn't say it's too sweet. I say it's very sweet. Because we've had triple IPAs that are like, I wouldn't call this cloying. It's close for me. It's, it's close, but it's not that. Okay. Right? Enough. Okay. If it can be close, it doesn't, it's not the whole cigar, baby. So it's. I don't think that's an expression. Way too thin. <laughs> it is if you say it with enough confidence. That's true. I almost, I almost, you see, I didn't, almost didn't say that. I was like, maybe, he's, maybe he knows. <laughs> he just it knows more than me. Yeah. He knows more words. Yeah. Uh, more stupid words, guaranteed. Sure. sure. Uh, it's definitely. Thin for the style, uh, but I think that adds to it being a bit more, you know, consumable. Like, yeah, it, it, triple IPA. Usually, I have to like sip it. Like, oh, it's good. I appreciate. It. I take small mouthfuls. This, this is like a gulpable, like very quaffable beer. Yeah, it's weird that we had that same 
um, observation of the first beer, and it was much more of a negative thing. Yeah. And here we're like, no, it makes it more drinkable. And the first one was like, no, it needs more heft. Well, I think because by and large, triple IPAs are just a little bit more gross. What do you mean gross? They need more help in the the taste and drinking department. In the smoothness category. In the smoothness, in the the heft, in the overwhelming, like make you feel claustrophobic. It's so thick. Sure. Vibe. Sure. Like. If you can thin out a triple IPA a little bit, it will do it a service unless you're really into beers that are like kind of difficult to drink. Yeah. Let's give it an out of 10 if you're ready. Uh, I'm very conflicted. I'm taking one more drink. Okay. I'm very conflicted about this beer in its entirety. Um, I think it's a well-made beer. I think I you all know what I think. We don't need to go over it again. It's... Is a six five. Yeah, it's a seven for me. It's good. It's not amazing. Like, no, we, dude, you've picked up some triple IPAs consistently like the past three weeks on the show. Like, I swear this is the third week we've done. Now that we talk, when we talked about it, we're like, we don't have enough of a sample size. No, we I'm don't. Like, I'm gonna fix that. And this isn't the best one. No, by a, by a long shot. But, but you know fine. what? We have more things to compare it to now. That's true. Yeah, we're doing um just a little little teaser. Uh, we got our best and worst beers of 2023 coming up in a couple of weeks. So. um for some of these, we might even break it down stylistically. I don't mm-hmm. know, but that's one well, How would you even rank this stylistically? Mm-hmm. I just put in triple IPAs. I don't care. <laughs> uh, okay, getting back to movies. This yes. is one that I watched. Here comes a trailer for May, December. How do you choose your roles? I want to find a character that's difficult to, on the surface, understand. Were they born or were they made? It's such a pleasure to meet you. You are so sweet. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for doing this. It's so generous. Well, I want you to tell the story right, don't I? We're taller. You look taller on television, but we're basically the same size. We're basically the same. Feels like things just settled down, and now y'all are making a movie. It's a very complex and human story. I think it's hard to trust that you're going to represent Gracie as she was. I'm going to try. Do you remember when you first met? You came to the pet store looking for a job. It was summer after sixth grade? Seventh. Why do you want to play me? When they sent me the script, I thought, here is a woman with a lot more to her than I remember from the tabloids. What would make a 36-year-old woman have an affair with a seventh grader? People, they like see me as a victim. I wanted it. I already have an idea of what it must have felt like. What? Sneaking around with you. I shouldn't have said that. Why would you want to play someone who you think is a bad person? It's the moral gray areas that are interesting. She's getting on my last nerve. She's just everywhere I look. Why can't we talk about it? If we're really as in love as we say we are? Insecure people are very dangerous, aren't they?
All right, that was a trailer for May, December. It's a film directed by Todd Haynes. It is on Netflix, and it says this on Letterboxd. 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under the pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. The film stars Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore um, and Charles Melton, who is um, the husband of this couple. Do you know anything about this movie, Johnny Summers? No, I've never heard of it. Okay, so May, December is based on this sort of loosely based on this real life situation where a teacher who is a grown up um facilitated a relationship with a 7th grade boy. Oh. It's yeah, it's not great. Um the, the tabloids at the time sort of covered it as like a Oh, it's based on Mary Kay Letourneau? Yes. Forbidden love thing. But it's very clearly like a, a grooming situation that doesn't go great. Um, in 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 the film, you kind of get this backstory of, and Julianne Moore is, is the wife. Natalie Portman is the actress. Where Julianne Moore has gone to prison and had this man boys, uh, babies, twins, and then they get married when he comes out, and they have this whole life. And as the media is wont to do, someone's going to make a movie about it, and they're going to cast Natalie Portman to portray um, Julianne Moore's person. Character. It's a movie about a movie about a scandal. It's a bit meta. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, it's, it's, it's a, I finished it today, so I don't even have my full thoughts sort of wrapped around yet. Um, it's really well shot. There's some, there's some like weird tonal stuff that I think is very intentional. Um, like some of it feels very campy. Like there's this scene in the beginning where Julianne Moore is looking in the refrigerator and there's this like crash zoom and like a, crazy dissonant piano chords like vroom and it feels so goofy because what she ends up being upset about is like there's not enough hot dogs for the barbecue which is wild because like in her life there's probably more stuff to be worried about but she doesn't see it um it's a, it's this great exploration of like the psyche of of all the people involved and it's like i read in somebody's review who who said these three people um portman julianne moore and charles melton are like in their own movies because they're in their own realities for various reasons uh it's really well done it's really awkward. It's intense. Um, it's worth a watch for sure. I enjoyed it, and it's it's off-putting a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is it a movie that needed to get made? Like, who's asking for this story? And like, the is- movie's not really about the story. I don't think it's not trying to retell the true story. So then, it's fictionalizing. I think it's commentary on how the actual events went down. And sort of implicating... You just said it's not about the actual story. Wouldn't that be about the actual story? It's not retelling the actual story. Okay. It's commentating on the yeah the way that sort of the media told the story and how we sort of consumed the story as a society, I think. So it's more commentary on like the, the ravenous nature of pop culture consumption? That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, I would say that's probably the largest part. Again, it's like it's pretty fresh in my brain. I haven't quite parsed it all out, but yeah. that's a huge component for sure. Hmm. Yeah, because like one of those things that like we've talked about, we've read books, like as a critic, you have to always ask like, what is this movie trying to say? What's the point of it? And it, did it do it well? You know, I'd be curious like what the point of that movie is. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just talking about kind of, you know, the the way that, that we consume stuff and, and fetishizing a little bit. Yeah. There's this great line between um, Natalie Portman and Charles Melton. She's again, the actress and she's hanging out with him. Cause he's, you know, I wouldn't want to set the scene too much. 
But she's talking to him about his life, and she's saying, she says, this is the kind of story, whatever. And he goes, "Isn't you know, it's not a story. Like, this is my life, which is kind of a predictable response to that. Um, and she says, I'm like, there's no need to get so worked up. Like, I think she's almost like a stand-in. Her character is like a stand-in for, like, the media. or And she's, like, not a good actress in in – in her character in the movie is not a great actress. That becomes kind of clear. So you know Natalie Portman's a good actress. That's right. Like, that's what I thought. But then some people were like, is Natalie Portman just a bad actress? It's like, no, she's, she's like doing the bad actress thing. Um, this is kind of a weird example, but like Julianne Moore has a very subtle lisp. Like it kind of comes and goes. And there's a monologue in the movie where Natalie Portman is looking at, there's a lot of mirrors and reflections in this movie. There's a whole lot of commentary there and like metaphor, I'm sure. But she's basically giving a monologue as Julianne Moore. She's like fully in character and the lisp is just like cranked to 11. And it's clearly over the top. It's very soapy hmm. and goofy and like, I don't know. It sounds very cringy. It's awkward. Like it's uncomfortable. It sounds like they saw I, Tanya and wanted to make a movie that they could profit off of. The Hang on. The people that made May, December or the people. The people that made May, December okay. saw I, Tanya and they're like, one plus one equals get rich. I, it's not like, because I, Tanya was a story, which 2017, mm-hmm. I'm going to say. That sounds right. Um, Which really just told the story, like like Maestro, which we'll get to in a few minutes here. Maybe. Is, yeah, is a is a biopic, straightforward, more or less. Like it's a, it's a biopic about this guy's life. This is not a, it's not a biopic. It's not a retelling of historical events. It's like an interpretation of the vibe of history. And it's not even about the events. It's about the events like, maybe like current day because it sounds like because this all happened in the past and she's interviewing them about their past lives in the present yes right so it's more of like That's a true fictionalized where are they now kind mixed of. with looking back yeah kind of huh what uh, a weird perspective to make a movie it's i mean it's bigger than that too like it's it's just it's you gotta watch it yeah i mean it sounds like it's a hard vibe to describe yeah, I haven't seen like you do think it's one thing and then it's like it's a bunch of things. Hmm. Um but whatever. I you know, I won't waste too much time on it now. Um again, I haven't fully thought it through. So for now, I mean I think I think Natalie Portman's great. I think Charles Melton's really great. He carries like he's a 36-ish year old dad who's sending his kids off to college with his 65-ish year old wife. Like that's crazy. There's that- a great scene where he's like smoking a joint with his son and he's never smoked weed. And like, I swear you can like feel him like longing for this childhood that he never had or like early adulthood or whatever, like, cause he was with this woman. It's great. He carries a lot of the movie. Julianne Moore is pretty great too. Um, great performances. Uh, I'm going to say an eight out of 10 for now. It's very good. All right. That's a high rating. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good movie. Okay. Um, so I'm going to jot that down for myself. It's carrying a 6.9 on, nine on IMDb and a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, so you're not in the minority the difference, here. yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, that's that's what I got there. Where do you want to go from here? When Evil Lurks, we're going to talk about that for sure? Yeah, for sure. Are we not? No, we are. I was I was making a scared face at the camera. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I thought I said something wrong. No, 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 no. Okay, here comes the trailer for When Evil Lurks, which Johnny has seen, and I can't watch it. <laughs> Hay un embichado en el pueblo. Estás asustando a mi familia. Lo vi con mis propios ojos, estuve con él. Esto va a ser un infierno. ¡No! 
que encontrar a la bestia. Antes de que nazcan más. Los tiempos de la fe se terminan rápido. All right, trailer for When Evil Lurks, Johnny. Take it away. What the heck? I I told you to watch this, by the way. You did. You and did you this to me. Did I said I don't want to watch this because it seems too scary for me. Would you please watch it first? So what did you think of this? Yes, I I did. I watched it for you, for us. I, I fell on that sword. It was directed by Damien Runa, uh, screenplay by the same man. It is one hour and 39 minutes long. It was released on September 13th last year at the Toronto International Film Festival, and it hit Shudder, the horror streaming service in mm -hmm. the United States, on October 6th, 2023. Uh, there is no point in praying. That's, the, that's how it starts. That's the tagline. Yeah. Residents of a small town discover that a demon is about to be born among them. They desperately try to escape before the evil is born, but it may be too late. All right. Dude, look. Should I watch this or not? Absolutely not. This is not for <laughs> you and your beautiful, gentle, creative soul. Okay. Why? It's not, man. Um, I am a big horror enthusiast. I love movies where everyone dies at the end. I love- Is that a spoiler for this? Uh, no. Because we're not spoiling no. this. No. Okay. Everybody doesn't die at the end. Okay. Just most people. Sure. Um, I, I like movies where there is, you know, kind of no hope left at the end. I think that there is uh, artistic merit in that. Sometimes. I think if it's done in the right way and it has things to say, uh, that it can be an effective tool of making art. This movie was a Book of Job level mm. exercise in punishment and visceral, primal desperation and the complete absence of hope and uh, you know some of your worst fears being exploited and just so many facets of the purest, deepest psychological horror mixed with some of the most viscerally unnerving body horror and gore and some of the most unique gore that I've ever seen as well. There was some really memorable moments that happen in this movie that uh, you might just not want to remember. Uh, I think it's going to be probably my number one horror film of the year. Uh, it's it's a real tough call because there's a couple – we'll get to this. Yeah, don't give this away because we're going to have a whole segment yeah. on no, this. But, yeah. but it is very much firmly in the wow. running just because it was legitimately horrifying. Like it was yeah. in a in – a, yep. In an entertainment way, not in a shock value way, but in a physically, emo like emotionally, I was run through the ringer by this movie and it was uh. so bleak. And at the end, you're like, that, that's it? That's how, that's how it is, huh? Okay. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm sad now. Yeah, it was, it was an impressive feat of filmmaking and that it, it just left me feeling like kind of empty. It, it felt very filled with despair. So it was a really, Dude, really effective horror movie. When I saw Hereditary, yeah. I had a similar feeling. Okay. Oof. Like, you couldn't, you can't, no, don't do this. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. So I will not watch this. No. Um, out of 10, what do you got? Nine, seven. Oh, snap. I'm not joking. It's wow. Been a, yeah. It, okay. It was one of my favorite movies that I almost think I don't ever want to watch again. 
Yeah. Well, that's what you said to me today when I was like, okay, I think that kind of solidifies like why I don't want to see this. If you're like, I loved it and I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself through it. Mm -hmm. This is how I read your text. Yeah. Uh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Then I don't need that. You know, um, the reason I asked you to watch that is because it was showing up on like everybody's top 10 horror films of the year. And it was either number one or number two. And I'll make this brief, but the other one in contention for number one was Skinamarink. And it's this experimental horror film from Kyle Edward Ball. It's this Canadian director who filmed um, this short film. It's not even really that short, but it's an experimental film. Uh, he filmed it in his childhood home for like 15 grand. It's 100 minutes long. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know why I said short film. Um, it's an hour 40. Don't apologize. You maybe thought it was a short film. So You're allowed this. to misspeak. It's okay. Here's it's, it's, these, it's basically like a found footage kind of thing. On it's When I bought it or rented it on Vudu, they gave me the option for like the UHD version or the standard definition. And the standard definition was in 420p. Oh my God. And that's also what the UHD version was. So it blows it up and it's on like this super grainy film. Oh wow. Like VHS old school stock. I like that. Um, and so here's the gist. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father missing and all the windows and doors in the home have vanished. That's kind of the deal. It's the slowest movie I've ever seen. And it's, it's really just a mood piece. And I've heard people say like, it, it's, when evil lurks, people are like, it's it's horrifying. Nobody's ever been like, that I've read has been like, it's fine. It's not even scary. Everyone's like, it's horrible. It's horrible. Some people here are like, I don't get it. It's not scary. Forget. And some people are like, I couldn't sleep for days after watching this. Whoa. It shook me to my core. Really? Because I think for some people, this awakens like a really deep childhood fear. Like, It's essentially like the, the fear of not wanting to look under the bed. Mm. And if you resonate with that, I love a good trauma horror. It's kind of what it is, but it's so abstract and like, like there's almost no dialogue in it. When you see people, these kids moving, like you see their ankles or like shadows of them on the wall. It's super, super to me, boring. I was, I had a really hard time connecting. It didn't scare me. I gave it a four out of 10 cause I, I, I appreciate a swing, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's it. I, I think you can miss Skin and Marink. It also came to Shudder, so maybe watch it. Um, you might find some horror aspects you appreciate, but it's very slow, um, very moody. Sounds like I'll sleep better than the last movie I talked about. You absolutely will. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's Skin and Marink for me, and I think we have one more to touch on, uh, if you're good at that, sir. Yes, okay, let's do it. Here's a trailer for Maestro, which is coming up now. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. Something she told me. Hello, I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh. Tell me about her. Oh, she's wonderful. She's a lovely girl. What age are we living in? One can be as free as one likes without guilt or confession. <laughs> Please, I know exactly who you are. He can be the first great American conductor. There's a price for being in my brother's orbit, you know that. Music 
It keeps me glued to life. You don't even know how much you need me to. I might. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. Okay, that was a trailer for Maestro, uh, a film that we have both seen. So let's talk about it in the few minutes we have left today, sir. This was directed by Bradley Cooper. It stars Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. We can talk about others, but it's a portrait of Leonard Bernstein's singular charisma and passion for music as he rose to fame as America's first native-born, world-renowned conductor, all along following his ambition to compose both symphonic and popular Broadway works. What did you think of this movie? Man, I loved it. You loved it? I loved it. Capital L. Capital L. Okay, why? It, because it had such shimmering, beautiful highs and such stunning, just, just terrible feeling lows. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was a real, not just metaphor, but it was a real portrayal of of life. You know, your victories, your tragedies, mm -hmm. and, and Bernstein's were just on such a larger and more public scale. Uh, and I didn't know very much about him at all going into this. I'm virtually blind. So yeah. it was a very fascinating look at an iconic person in American musical history for not just his conducting, but his, mm -hmm. his composition work. And didn't he write, what was it, Rent? Or uh, there was, no, one of I think them. it might be somebody else. But I can, was it West Side Story? Nope. Okay, it was one of the big ones. And I'm not a musical guy, and I recognized it. So okay. I was like, I know that. Um, but I loved how personal this movie felt. There was some really intimate moments with, you know, and some, some tough conversations. I thought it was very well acted. West Side Story is Leonard Bernstein. I'm so sorry. Yes. Nice job. Thank you. Yep. Um, so I loved a lot of the interactions with Cooper's character and mm -hmm. Carrie Mulligan's character here. I thought it was, you know, this documentation of, um, a very complex, relationship. Mm -hmm. I won't spoil that at all, but sure. their relationship was very complex and had a lot of layers and things that were very behind the scenes mm -hmm. that I don't know if there was some books written or if there have been, you know, it's been documented by either of them um, about that, but it felt very personal and, and a really yeah. peek behind the curtains. So I dug yeah. it and I was not expecting to be as moved by it as I was. There's a, okay, out of 10 for you. We can go back to the old school Out of way 10? Of Eight one. Eight point one. Yeah, like there's a particular change in tone that happens where I think Carrie Mulligan sort of takes over the emotional weight of the story, third act-ish, mm -hmm. um, which really, like I almost even without, can I say why do you think, or do you think that's a little bit? Third act and then I wouldn't. Okay. It just hits really hard. And if you've experienced some of the stuff she's going through, it, she does it perfectly. And it's really, really tough. Yeah. It reminded me of Fableman's a little bit. Sure. Okay. Um, it's, it's great. Bradley Cooper's fantastic. Um, the stuff that is meant to be big and impactful, super big. There's, I mean, the climactic, 
uh, sequence of the film is him conducting in a church. It's a, it's a famous, it's that a, long I, know, I can't think of the, the, the song at the moment, but it's great. It's, I mean, he does a, an incredible job. Like you understand his journey. I don't think he quite digs deep or maybe the movie doesn't dig deep enough quite into like the interpersonal stuff about his life. Like it's, it's pretty straightforward from like him being in his twenties to him, you know, till, till the end of his career essentially. And that's great. I just wish it would have been a little bit more subversive narratively. Um, Carrie Mulligan does steal the show here for me. I think even though she is, you know, sort of a, the second fiddle more or less when she is on screen and doing her thing, she's great. Um, it's a really solid film, man. I, it's a good eight for me. I really, really dug it. I was left quite devastated when nice. I saw it. Not nice that you were devastated, but nice that you enjoyed it. It's nice to see an eight. Eights are great. Eights are great. That's why it rhymes. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's kind of that's kind of our recap on films, yeah? Man, what an honorable mention show. Yes. It's quite impressive. So in a few weeks, we're going to be doing our top 10 films of 2023. Um, there's still a few more I want to catch up with. One of them is The Holdovers. Um, one of yours might be The Deepest Breath. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and if you have any more horror movies I need to watch, right. send them my way. Yeah. Because that's homework I enjoy. Yeah. Um, next week on the show, we're actually taking a break from our 2023 catch-up. We're, we're going to be watching The Book of Clarence. Which looks awesome. Stoked for that. <laughs> um, and then we're taking a week off. You're going to be out of town for a little bit. Do yep. you care to elaborate or? Going to Hawaii. Great. Baby. He's on vacation in yeah, Hawaii. Man. Um, as usual, our show wouldn't be possible without the support of Bailey Minardi. Everybody on Patreon, check out the handlebar for a sick-ass happy hour. And that's Johnny Summers who has to go now. That's Max Minardi. Thanks for being the amazing little human that you are. We'll see you guys next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.